We are in our series, Job, and I have, I have decided to opt out of doing one of the sermon series because it's the most depressing series that we've done in a very long time. And yet, the most depressing season can also be the most hopeful, right? And so, I'm excited because Pastor Jared Gallardo, he was, he was licensed here as a pastor. He's active duty in the Air Force. He's an RN in the Air Force. We only have him for a few more months before they ship him off because that's what the military does and it breaks my heart. But I'm so thankful for Pastor Jared Gallardo. Would you stand on your feet? Help me welcome Pastor Jared as he comes up and shares Job, Job with us this morning. Job. Good morning. Please be seated. Hello. My name is Jared Gallardo. And um, Luminous, and you guys have knighted me uh, pastor here. And um and it's an honor. <laughs> like, pew, pew. And so, um, this is second service, so I feel less, uh, like, less um, stuck to this thing right here. I don't know if that's true, though. It's not true. Ben just said it's not. Um, because I guess buffets start at a certain time or something. But my name is Jared Gallardo. Um, I have the privilege to, uh, to share with you guys a message um, from Job. A little bit about myself that Ben already introduced. Um, I was born and raised in Alaska. My parents are here from Alaska. Um, and uh, yes, thank you. I love you guys. And um, Liz is uh, serving my wife. She's in the um, nursery right now. Uh, her mama came from Guam. We just had a birthday party for uh, my son, our son, Kavika. And um, it was an amazing time we had uh, as we celebrated the life of our son. I, there it is. So this was like the after after party. We didn't care about like the trash and everything that was in our, the garage and the trailer is still full and I don't want to look at it. So this was like, okay, this is like after the birthday party and so we're now we're at home just kind of like, okay, let's just relax. And so, um, like Ben said, I am a, um, I'm a nurse, I'm an RN. I've been in the military for 10 years. I've uh, been in San Antonio for about almost four years and Two year, I'm sorry, two or three weeks ago, we just found out that we're going back to Guam. So we're PCSing back to Guam in July. That's why Ben said that I'm only here for a few more months. So Liz and I, Kayla and Kavika, will be shipping back off to Guam here in a few months. So, um, so yeah, so if you guys have any parties, let us know, and we will crash a party. Um, but we in Guam, we're looking, really looking forward to that. We had the uh, opportunity to serve over there at an Every Nation church, and we really love Every Nation. Um, world missions, campus ministry, church planting, those are some of the pillars of Every Nation. And so when we found out that, um, that Luminous was going to be launched in September 2014, we were super excited. And so um, we've just been able to build with you guys, and so happy to call this place home, and we're about to be shipped somewhere else soon, so pray for us. Um, before we go any further and before we get into the meat of the message, let's just take a moment and pray. Mighty God, thank you for this morning. Thank you, God, that, um, I, man, on the way here, God, we've seen, I saw like four accidents. The 1604 was closed, but we're here. God, you got us here. Our butts are planted in this chair. Father, would you have our undivided attention? God, would I decrease so that you and your word increase? God, whatever happened this past week in our lives, Father God, would leave it at the altar. And God, would you have your way in us. Open our hearts to receive your word this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. All right, y'all. Um, the big idea 
a sermon series in Job is to find hope in dead situations. Find hope in dead situations. And I would add, after today's message, that we would also be able to wrong our, uh, right our wrong view of God. So bring hope in dead situations and right our wrong view of God. To recap what Ben already taught, March 4th, he talked about how Job was a real person, um, that he lost all of his livestock, all of his children, and that everyone's faith will be tested. Everybody's faith in this room will be tested. And that we looked at, was Job really in this because he had possessions, or was Job in this because he loved God? And then last week, March 11th, Ben talked about that everything, including the devil, is under God's authority, and that Job is sitting right now in immense pain. He's sitting outside the city dump, covered in ashes, and his friends have came along. What great friends. And they sat with him for how many days? How many, anybody remember how long they sat? Seven. Seven days they sat with him in silence. So they didn't say anything. So his friends came. They sat with him. Hey, you're suffering. Hey, we're going to come. Hey, we're here. Okay, we're quiet. But that's not going to be for long, and we're going to find out why here. So today we have the opportunity to unpack 30, like, six different chapters of Job from chapter 3 to chapter 37. And normally we would all stand in reverence of God's word and read. Um, but if we did that, then we would be standing for the entire 40 minutes. So have your seats. We are going to look at five different characters in this story. They're, who's speaking is going to be in parentheses on the board. So I need you guys to really focus and look up here because the verses are going to be up here. All right. Um, with that said, Ben talked about the book of Job is not going to answer why. Why suffering? Why evil? Why pain? And Job's question never gets answered, the why part. But um, what we're going to look at today is several theological points, and hopefully we're going to write our wrong view of God. We're going to look at God's sovereignty, divine retribution, false syllogism. That is a, a rationale that they, his friends have come to. And we're going to look at justice. Is God a just God? So we're going to unpack a few things. And like I said, normally we stand. Right now we're just going to get into the word. So kinda, to kind of recap and paint the picture, Job lost all his wealth. He lost all of his camel. He lost all of his ten children. He's sitting probably outside the city limits because he had the boils on. And every time that there was a leper, they cast him outside the city. So he is sitting there in ashes and boils, and he's using clay pottery to scrape off the ooze and the pus that's coming out of him. And his friends have come along, and they're just chilling next to him, such great friends, and they're quiet for seven days. They're waiting for Job to speak, and then he speaks. And so that's where we're going to begin. So uh, point number one, today's message is actually titled Response to Suffering. So point number one is response to suffering with my emotions response to suffering with my emotions. And it's helpful to think of emotions as the flow and experience of feelings. And those feelings can come from an external trigger or an internal trigger. Something external um, that would trigger our emotions like sadness, joy, anger, fear could be like seeing a friend suffer or like watching a, a, a movie and then you get really you know emotional about the movie like I just saw Black Panther, and I was like, oh, forever Wakanda, and I was like, man, I was like, <laughs> I wanted to find the vibranium, 
and I was really like, I'm always like, man, let's go out. It was like we went to the matinee price to save money, and I, it was still daylight, and I was like, we got time to save the world. So I was like emotionally driven. And then an internal trigger could be like maybe you have an illness and you were hospitalized for a really long time. So now you have an internal trigger of the hospital. It triggers some, makes you feel some kind of way. Or uh, a divorce makes you feel some kind of way in, in future relationships. That's an internal trigger. So we're going to jump right into it. You guys ready? Job 3.11. This is Job speaking about his emotions. He says, why was I not stillborn and why didn't I die as I came out of the womb? So Job is suffering, and he's saying, why was I even born? Why, I mean, why, why? All my kids are gone, my possessions, my cattle, my wealth, who I was, my identity is stripped from me. Why was I even born? I wish I was born a stillbirth. In Job 3, 25 and 26, it says, for the thing that I feared has overtaken me, and what I dreaded has happened to me, I cannot relax, I cannot be still, I have no rest, for trouble comes. So what that thing that has overtaken him was, in, in Job's mind, God's hedge of protection for his circumstances was gone. And so Job was like, God's hedge of protection is gone from my life, and all of these things are happening to me. And so the thing that I fear the most has come upon me. And so what we're learning and what we're going to learn in this point is that God's ways are inconceivable to man, and that's okay. God's ways are inconceivable to man, and that's fine. See, the wrong way of thinking is called divine retribution. Everybody say divine retribution. And what that is is, without exception, that God will um, punish the wicked and reward the righteous. But that's wrong. Because look at Matthew 5, 45b. It says, for he causes his son, his S-U-N, to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So sovereign God is causing things to happen on wicked people and unwicked people, righteous and unrighteous people. And so we know that, that um, the right train of thought to, to pull from this would be that to trust God when his ways are inconceivable. We're going to look at, at, in Job's emotions in this point, is that Job is on an emotional roller coaster. He's like at Six Flags all the way with his emotions. He's, uh, he's high and he's the lowest of his low. And so, anybody been in like a super horrible relationship? Anybody? Nobody, just me. I see one hand in the back, too. All right, so like a horrible relationship where like, baby, I love you, and then like, baby, I hate you, and then you fight, and then baby, I love you, and then baby, I hate you, and then you it goes back and forth, and then your relationship, after being months or years of dragged on, it ends, and then you look back at that relationship, and you're like, holy cow, what just happened? What was I thinking? M my emotional roller coaster has taken me over here and over here and on all over the place. And so what do you do? You go around, surround yourself with your friends, and you say, bro, I need help. I need help. This is what happened. And so here's what happened to me. And then what does your bro say? Or if your girl, what does your, what does your girlfriend say? They say, it's okay. They say, follow your heart. Follow your heart. But what do we know about our heart? We know about our heart, Jeremiah 17, 9. It says that our heart is more deceitful than anything else. And it's incurable. Who can understand it? So the advice to say, follow your heart, is not good advice. We should not say, follow your heart. 
Otherwise, your heart is going to lead you. It's incurable. It's wicked. And it's just going to take us on this emotional roller coaster. So that's bad advice. Don't say follow your heart. Because um, your heart and your emotions will lead you in, in areas like on a wild roller coaster. But what, how do we think? We shouldn't be void of emotion either. So we shouldn't be like a robot like, my girlfriend left me. I am sad. Like, that would be weird if, if you acted like that every time. My dad just died. It's okay. Like, no, God gave us emotion to express who we are. It, it's, it's part of our character. But how that emotion triggers an action inside of us is what we're looking at today. So don't be void of emotions, but don't let your emotions lead you either. So check out. Check out Job. This is him talking in Job 9, 4, 10 to 12. He's saying now that God is all wise and powerful. Who has opposed him and come out unharmed? He does great and unsearchable things, wonders without number. If he passes me, I wouldn't see him. If he goes right by, I wouldn't recognize him. And if he snatches something, who can stop him? Who can ask him, what are you doing? So here, Job is kind of understanding that God's ways are incomprehensible to man. They're, they're uncomprehensible to, to mankind. And he kind of gets that. And so, but we're seeing like, before he just said he wishes he was a stillborn. And now he's like, God, you're almighty, you're all powerful, and you're all knowing. So he's like all over the place. Check it out in Job um, 7, 11, and 20. He says, therefore, I will not restrain my mouth, but I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. If I have sinned, what have I done to you, O watcher of mankind? Why have you made me your target so that I become a burden to you? So now we see Job is again on his emotional roller coaster. He's like, O watcher of mankind, you're God Almighty. You took away my kids and my cattle, my house. I have this big target on you. You're the watcher. You're, you're the Almighty. So tell me what's up. Why is this stuff happening in my life right now? So he's wrestling with God. He's on this emotional roller coaster. And what we're about to find out is wrestling with God and coming to God with your problems, it's okay. That's okay. And we're going we're gonna to commend Job at the end of this discourse for coming to God with his problems. Um, the other thing is that what should our emotional response be? Our emotional response and what it should be from our actions is from Galatians. That's the fruit of the Spirit. It should be love, joy, peace long-suffering, patience, kindness, those are what should flow out of our emotions to trigger those kinds of actions in the midst of suffering. And you guys are looking at me like, man, in the midst of death or in the midst of a divorce, you want me to have love, joy, and peace, and long-suffering. That's where God is molding us. That's where God is molding us to be, all right? Y'all tracking? Am I good? Point number two, response to suffering as a friend response to suffering as a friend. And this is where the bulk of our text is going to come from. Job spoke in chapter 3, and so now we're going to look at four different rounds of, of bantering with Job and his friend, Job and his friend, Job and his friend. Um, and actually the fourth round, I don't know if it's because Job is so beat up from his friends, but Elihu speaks and Job doesn't even reply. I don't know if he's just so beat up that he just doesn't give a response, but we're going to look at that today. Um, one thing to think about in this is that, do you guys remember when Ben talked about 
uh, I, think, I don't know if it was chapter 1 or 2, that there was this meeting in the heavenlies. God was orchestrating this meeting. The angels were there. The devil makes his way. Who is, the devil who is under God's authority makes his way to that meeting. God says, okay, this trial can happen to Job. But one thing to think about, that meeting happened, but Job and his four friends were never privy to the dialogue from that meeting. They, they don't know that that meeting took place, that God gave this permission to happen. So what they're doing, Job's friends, is that they're arriving at a conclusion. And that arrival at a conclusion is called a syllogism. So they arrived at a false conclusion, a false syllogism. They arrived at that God sends hardship to wicked people only. But that's not the case. Their rationale was, since Job, you're suffering, then you must be wicked. Since you're suffering, then you must be wicked. But we have to take that train of thought and cast it out of our mind because that's not the case, guys. Because um, we see that even Christ's suffering was not the result of sin. Christ's suffering was not the result of sin. And we're not privy to know how God runs the world. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. We're not privy to that information. But let's look at, at his friends and their outlook and what the advice they gave him. Elphaz, first friend. This is Elphaz speaking in Job 5, 8 to 10 and 17. He says, however, if I were you, I would appeal to God and present my case to him. He does great and unsearchable things, wonders without number. He gives rain to the earth and sends water to the fields. See how happy the man is that God corrects. So do not reject the discipline of the Almighty. Elphaz was very lacking in compassion here. He's like, if I were you, just present my case to God. Like, God, um, don't reject his discipline. He's disciplining you for a reason. He killed your ten children for a reason. So just go to him. That, that was Elphaz's, like, advice to his suffering friend. Just go to God, repent, and, and everything will be okay. But Job is maintaining his integrity. He is saying, no, I'm innocent. I'm innocent. I, I'm, I'm upright. I'm righteous. And so we're going to look at that. Later on... In Job chapter 22, Elphaz asserts that, aha, I know, reason, I know the reason why you're suffering, Job. It's because, do you remember you had all those wealth and all those cattle and everything? Well, it's because you were insensitive to the orphan. You were insensitive to the people who were asking for something. That's why you're suffering right now. He knew it. And then Job was like, no, like I did give. I did give to the, to the widow and to the poor out of my abundance. So uh, Elphaz, his first friend, is just kind of throwing stuff out there like, aha, I know what it is. Maybe it's because you didn't give. But no, he did give. He was generous. And so Bildad, his second friend, in Job 8, 4 to 6, this is Bildad speaking, and verse 20, it says, since your children have sinned, he gave them over to their rebellion. But if you earnestly seek God, ask for mercy, and if you are pure and upright, then he will move even now on your behalf and restore your home where your righteousness dwells. Look, God does not reject a person of integrity, and he will not support evildoers. So Bildad knew it. He knew it. Like, Job, I know it. I know what it is. Your children died because they're sinners, all ten of them. That's why they all died. And then Job is like, what? No, don't you remember? Like, 
I sacrificed uh, for their behalf. I, I raised them up in, in this way to honor and respect God. So Job is trying to still maintain his innocence. No, I sacrificed on their behalf. I, I pleaded God for them. And, and so Bildad is saying, no, God gave them over to their rebellion. That's why your children died. So here's Job, right? He's out. He's like, he's crying. He's got boils all over him. He's sitting in ashes outside the city dump. And then his friends were starting to see like, aha, I know the answer. It's because of sin. Aha, I know the answer. It's because your children were wicked. And so like what kind of help were his friends right now in the midst of this? We thought like we left last week saying, oh, wow, his friends came for seven days and they sat in silence. This is wonderful. But they're all like, aha, I know what it is. It's because your kids are wicked. Aha, it's because sin is in your life. Just go to the Almighty. So, I mean, what kind of advice are we giving to suffering friends and family members? Are we just, like, trying to just throw blanket, like, conclusions out there? Like, come up with aha moments? Or are we just, like, like I don't know, like, go to God. I will be here with you as we work through this, and I'm not leaving your side. Like, what kind of, of actions uh, are we learning from this? And so we're going to keep looking at his friends, man, because they're, they're crazy right now. Um, we're on uh, Bildad. Bildad just talked about his kids. So in Bildad, uh, chapter, Job, I'm sorry, chapter 18, verse 2 and 4, Bildad says, How long will you stop talking? Show some sense, Job. Show some sense, then we could talk. Why are we regarded as cattle, as stupid in your sight, you who tear yourself in anger? Should the earth be abandoned on your account or a rock be removed from its place? Bildad is getting angry at Job now. He's like, should the earth just be abandoned or should a rock be moved? Should the laws of physics here on earth be pushed aside just because of your suffering? He's like, is, is that what should happen right now? Because it's not going to happen. One thing, I um, forgot to mention this before. One thing is that we're looking at a lot of verses because if you just take one verse out of, out of Job and you're like, okay, Zophar said... Uh, to repent and go to God. If you just take one passage without looking at the full context of what his friends are saying, and you're like, hey, suffering friend, like you go to your neighbor or your uncle, like, hey, uncle, I got a perfect verse from you. It's from Job. Uh, Bildad looks like he says, uh, repent. But if you take that one verse without looking at the full context, like, no, like his friends are actually going in on Job. So, so we're looking at a, a lot of different verses this morning to try and get the full context of what these 36 chapters mean. So, um, so Bildad just told him that uh, should the physics on earth, should a rock be removed because of your sin? No. And so we're going to look at the third friend, Zophar. Zophar in Job 11, 6 to 9, he comes out the gate and he says, he would show you the secrets of wisdom. For true wisdom has two sides. Know then that God has chosen to overlook He's chosen to overlook some of your sin. Can you fathom the depths of God or discover the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than the heavens. What can you do? They are deeper than Sheol. Who can know? Their measure is longer than the earth and wider than the sea. Zophar comes out the gate saying like, who are you to know God? In fact, God is not even giving you the full punishment of what you deserve, dude. You deserve way worse than what you've got. That, and that's what he said. He said that God chose to overlook some of your sin. 
Job is suffering. His children just died. I mean, I get sad when, like, an, an uncle or an auntie passed away. I'm like, oh, man, like, there goes a member of the family. I couldn't even imagine if, if one of my children died. Ten of his children just died. And his friend said, you deserve this. In fact, God is overlooking something in your life. He's overlooking some of your sin. You deserve more punishment. That's what Zophar is saying right now. Is, is this helpful? Everybody go like this. This is not helpful for Job. Job is suffering, and all of his friends are just going in on Job right now, and he is just like wounded and bleeding. Emotionally, physically, he's got that nasty chupacabras all over his body. <laughs> um, Zophar. And so, um, 11, Job chapter 11, uh, 13 to 15. Zophar is still speaking. What does he say? As for you, Job, if you redirect your heart, if you lift your hands up to him in prayer, if there's iniquity in your hand, then remove it, and don't allow injustice to dwell in your tents. Then you will hold your head high. You'll be free from fault, and you will be firmly established and unafraid. So Zophar was like, I know. Just go to God in prayer. And, and since you're wicked, you will be... Um, rightly justified once again. You were a great man. You had all this cattle and wealth and authority. Just go to God and, and it'll be all good. So, like, he's, that's what he's saying, and that's why I was saying a, a, bit, a little bit ago, you can't just take one text, one verse, and just try to give it to somebody, because if you try to take Zophar and just, and you tell him, like, you, you tell your uncle, hey, redirect your heart and l go to God in prayer, like, that sounds good, but the bulk of Zophar's message is actually, like, it goes, it goes in. That's not what a suffering person needs to hear. A suffering person needs to hear a message of hope. And we're going to look at that. Here's his fourth friend, Elehu. Elehu was chilling on the side like this. He actually allowed the other three older guys to speak first. Um, in Job 32, 2 and 3, we read that Elehu was actually angry at two people. He was angry at Job because Job was justifying himself instead of God. Job was saying, no, guys, I'm innocent. I'm guilty. I mean, I'm innocent. I gave my possessions. I don't deserve this. This should never happen on my life. Instead, he was never justified. He never said um, the justification came from God. He was trying to say that the justification came because of what he did and what he, how he was so good. So that, that's why Elihu was finding fault in Job. Elihu was also mad at the three friends because they, they did nothing but condemn Job for this entire time. They did nothing but condemn him. None of them ever gave advice to him and kind of refuted his why. He was asking why, but none of his friends gave him good advice. They were just coming with, aha, it was this, aha, it was this. So Elihu was like, I'm mad at you, Job, because you just are looking at yourself and I'm mad at you, you three friends, because none of you guys are even helping him. Look at what you guys are doing. And so, um, that was one thing. On a side note, I wanted to speak to the young people. And so, if you could look to, into your Bibles, Job 32, 6 to 9. If you can't get there quick enough, I'm going to read it. But I'm reading Job 32, 6 to 9. Elihu, he was a young man. And Elihu basically concluded that, Wisdom does not have to happen only, or does not only come to those who are old in age. 
that wisdom does not only come to those who are old in age. Age. A lot of times we think like, oh, you have gray hair, like this person is very wise. They're very wise beyond their years. But we're looking that Elihu was also used by God um, as, a, as a young man to bring God's message in a time like this. And so Elihu 32, 6 to 9. So it says, so Elihu, the son of Rachel, the Buzite, replied, I am young in years while you are old. Therefore, I was timid and afraid to tell you what I know. I thought that age should speak and maturity to teach wisdom, but it is a spirit in a man and the breath of life of the Almighty that give understanding. So it is the spirit in the man and the breath of the Almighty that give understanding. It is not only the old who are wise or the elderly who understand how to judge. So campus folks and young adults, this is so important. You guys in your young age are going to be put in situations where you can minister to those who are older than you. You will be put in situations where you can. So speak up. If God is impressing something in your heart and you're a young person in this room, speak up and don't be afraid to be used by God. Elihu wasn't, and he's saying, he, he allowed the older folks to speak first, but he's like, look, wisdom doesn't just become, come because you're old, but wisdom comes because of God, and God is moving in me, and God will move in you in the campus, and when you graduate, God will move in the workplace as you change your workspace. Amen? Amen. So young people can be used by God. Elihu, I'm sorry, Job 33, 12 to 13. This is Elihu speaking. He says, but I tell you that you are wrong in this matter. Since God is greater than man, why do you take him to court for not answering what a person asks? So he's like, Job, you're wrong. I know you want to be on trial before God, but this is wrong. God's ways are not our ways, and, and you don't deserve this trial. Let's just go to him. And so a lot of times in our good intentions, what do we do? A lot of times we say things to a suffering individual. We say things like, this is all for the best. Or he's in a better place now. Or this is all a part of God's plan. Or we might even say things like, God will never give you too much to handle. I understand you're unemployed right now. You're collecting EBT, but God will never give you too much to handle. Like that is not what people need to hear in the midst of their suffering. They don't need to hear that. They don't need to hear like, like he's in a better place. What they need to hear is like, I don't know why this has happened to you. I have no clue. I can't even imagine that right now. I am not going to go anywhere. I'm going to be right here next to you. And if you want me to be quiet, I'll be quiet. But we're going to go to God together. I'm going to meet your physical needs. And we're going to figure this out together. That's what suffering people need to hear. They don't need to hear like, oh, he's in a better place. Or, oh, like, God has never given you too much that you can't handle. Like, instead, it's like what we should say, and I'm guilty of this, but what we should start saying is, I have no clue why your son drowned in the pool. I have no clue why your wife cheated on you. We're going to get through this together. I'm not going to go anywhere. You can come to my house. We're going to eat. I'm going to not leave your side, and we're going to get through this together. That's what people need to hear. All right. Um, we're still speaking about Elihu, and we're going to look at how um, all of this made Job feel. Job 12, 
2 and 3. This is how it made him feel. No doubt you are people, and wisdom will die with you. He's talking to his friends. But I also have a mind. I'm not inferior to you. Who doesn't know the things you're talking about? Who doesn't know that? So Job is saying, no doubt you are people, and when you guys die, then all wisdom is going to die. He's basically saying that you guys are the almighty wisdom knowers. When you guys pass away, you guys are going to take all of the world's wisdom with you. He's being sarcastic right here. He was saying, like, when you guys die, you guys are going to take all of wisdom with you. Um, because, but he's saying in the next verse, like, you guys aren't telling me anything I don't know. I already know that my son is in a better place. I already know these things. I don't need to hear that. What I need to hear is I need to hear you love me, and I need to hear that you're not going to leave me, and we're going to get through this together. That's what he needs to hear. So that's why he's like, you guys aren't telling me anything. Look at what he says in Job 13, 4 and 5. Job says, but you cope the truth with lies. Remember, they were trying to say, it's because you didn't give. It's because you didn't do this. But you cope the truth with lies. You are all worthless doctors. If only you would shut up and let that be your wisdom. Job said, you want wisdom? Just be quiet. Don't even say another word. You were better when you were not talking for seven days than when you opened your mouth. Just shut up. That's wisdom. And so Job, what did he call them to? He called them worthless doctors. And worthless doctors. Everybody been to like a doctor's office and you made an appointment and you had to wait a week. And then you're like, well, I could have did that with Motrin and Tylenol. I mean, like, man, like he gave me Motrin and Tylenol. I mean, that's at Walmart. I mean, so that's what Job is calling his friends. He's calling them worthless doctors. And I'm not dogging on doctors right now. But I was just saying that is the, is the analogy that Job is giving you guys are not prescribing me anything that I need right now. I need love, and you guys are just beating me down. I need it, and you guys are just coming in on me. And so, we're going to go to point three, and that is response to suffering in my thoughts. Response to suffering in my thoughts. It's helpful to think of our thoughts as mental cognitions, and these cognitions are our ideas, our opinions about ourselves, or our opinions about our worldview that kind of shape the way we think. Those are our thoughts. And so, what did we kind of already learn? That God's ways are higher than our ways. That God's ways are not our ways. But what we know from Psalms 139.6 is that it says, This extraordinary knowledge, it's beyond me. It's lofty, and I am unable to reach it. The psalmist here is talking about the wisdom of God. Like, I don't know why the sovereign God does these things. It is beyond me. And you know what? That's okay. Everybody say, that's okay. That is okay. That is okay that God's ways are not our ways. That is okay that we don't know why we're in this suffering right now. That is okay. And so, um, we're going to look at how Job and his thoughts, in Job's thoughts, they were taking him all over the place. His emotions led him, and his thoughts are also leading him. In Job uh, 16, 9, this is Job speaking. His, he says, his anger tears at me. He harasses me. He gnashes his teeth at me. My enemy pierces me with his eyes. Who is he talking about here? Job is talking about God. Job is calling God his enemy. Job, the man in verses uh, chapters 1 and 2 who we knew was this righteous man, the just Job, the upright man is now calling God his enemy. He's moved from the point where that he probably knew that God was his Abba, that God is going to give him great and wonderful things, but 
He allowed his circumstances and his thoughts to dictate his actions now. So now he's saying, God, you're my enemy. You're gnashing your teeth at me. Earlier he said, you, you put a big bullseye on me, you big bully, oh, watcher of mankind. He's, he's like calling out God now. And this is where Job's thoughts are taking him. Um, in Job 13, 15, we see that Job's emotions and his thoughts are taking him everywhere. Look at 13, 15. It says, this is Job, even if he kills me, I'll hope in him. I will still defend my ways before him. So see in that we can still say that Job is still trying to justify, justify himself. I will still defend myself. I will still do this. He's still trying to, like, God, I am right. I, am, I don't deserve this. I, I, he's like still trying to make a defense for himself. And so we see that Job ultimately wants justice. Is God a just God? Look at what Job says in Job 27, 2 and 4. He says, as God lives, who has deprived me of justice, and the Almighty who has made me bitter, as long as my breath is still in me, and the breath of God remains in my nostrils, then my lips will not speak unjustly. My tongue will not utter deceit. So Job is saying, God, you are not a just God. You've deprived me of justice, and I demand a trial against you. What can we do? We know, what can we pull from this? We know that Job has been wrestling with God. He's been wrestling with his thoughts. And what we can do is we can commend Job for going to God. We can commend Job for, for not running to alcohol, not running to a substance, not trying to find, um, you know, a bunch of kids that he could adopt. And like, okay, these are my kids. I got my kids now. Like, we can commend Job for not running to something else. And what does he do? He's trying to run to God. His thoughts and emotions, yes, they're taking him everywhere on this emotional roller coaster, and that's okay. But we can commend Job for, for trying to go a Job. Job, I said Job. I did that first service too. We can commend Job for going to God and his wrestling. As I'm wrapping up this third point, I wanted to bring up Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And it says, don't worry about anything. Don't worry. But in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the peace of God that surpasses every thought, those are what's going to, to guide us. Those are what's going to guide us in the midst and in response from suffering. And so we're bringing this in for a close. We just looked at 37 or something chapters of Job. I tried to pull out all of this. We looked at point one, response uh, to suffering with my emotions. We looked at point two, response to suffering as a friend. And then point three, response to suffering in my thoughts. Like, where, where, how do I respond to suffering in my thought life? And with that, I wanted to bring up James 1.12. It says, a man who endures trials is blessed. When he passes the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So we will be tested. Trials will come. There's, there's like no way around that. If you're in this room, there's no way around that. Trials will come. We already, we already talked about that. So what do we do? How do we respond to suffering in the midst of those trials? Hopefully what was conveyed is that God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts, and that's okay. 
hopefully what we took from, from this was that response to suffering as a friend. Like, how am I supposed to respond to you if you're suffering and you to me? How are we supposed to respond to people? I, I brought this up in, in the first uh, service and bringing it up again. Um, my Uncle David taught me this, and he told me, like, everybody imagine an axe. Okay, imagine I got an axe right here. An axe is used to swing and chop wood. When people are down like this, like Job was, like, oh my goodness, I just lost my 10 kids, my cattle, my, my livestock, my wealth, everything of who I am. When people are like this and suffering, this is what we do when we respond how his friends were. We take the axe, we remove the metal blade, we put the Bible on here, and then we go, this is why you're suffering. This is why. This is, you need to repent. You know what? Your children suffer. Your children were wicked. That's why they're all dead. That's what we do when we just, somebody is suffering and we're just, we're just beating them down like, repent. Or we're trying to come up with excuses. This is what it is. Aha, I know. If we don't know, it's okay that we don't know. It's okay. We don't have to know. But what we have to know is who the hope giver is. We have to know who the hope giver is. Everybody in this room should be able to articulate the gospel. That the hope giver, Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, what did he do? He paid a penalty for our sin. He was the atonement, the sacrifice for our sin. That he lived a life that we couldn't live. He died a death that was for us. That he rose again from the grave three days later, thus proving that he was God, that he took our place. That's the good news. He is the hope giver. We don't need to be beating somebody down with, with the ax and a Bible when somebody is suffering. What is that going to do? That's not going to get him anywhere. Job is, they're going to be like Job, like, dude, you're not telling me anything I don't already know. I already know my, my son is in a good place. I already know that. I need, I need you to tell me that you love me. I need you to tell me that, that I'm on welfare and that you're going to help me eat. I need you to tell me that I have a place to stay. That's what people need to hear. They don't need to hear, like, repent. You're wicked. You, don't, you got laid off because you're, you're evil. Like, they don't need to hear that. They need to hear hope. And we can give them hope. People in this room need it. We need to hear hope. When trials come in our life, we need to know who the hope giver is. Our foundation is going to be shaken. And if we don't know who the hope giver is, then, then our whole worldview of who we thought God is, it's just going to crumble. And then when that trial comes, we're just going to be fickle and we're just going to fall. We need to have a solid foundation on who the hope giver is. With that, let's go ahead and stand, guys. We're going to pray and we're going to dismiss. Uh, staying in this attitude of, of prayer, and, and we just looked at like 37 chapters of Job. Hopefully we're able to pull some nuggets. Get an audio Bible while you're driving in traffic. You can, you can read Job and, and allow this, this to take out and, and uh, the play to take out, and you're going to hear nuggets. But um, Ben, next week, he's going to wrap up. God is going to speak. Then Job is going to speak. And we're going to see what the response was. Come back next week. But let's go ahead and bow our heads. Mighty God, we just thank you. We thank you so much that we were able to cover ground this morning, God. We thank you that we saw who you were. Mighty God, would you just correct our worldview? Would you correct our outlook on who you are? Would you write our wrong view of you, God? Father God, Holy Spirit, would you just right now 
put impress, impress on our heart. Everybody think about somebody who is suffering in their life. Think about somebody who's going through a trial. If you have that person on your heart, keep them on your heart. Because what I want you to do is I want you to go to that person, reach out to that person, tell them you love them, and give them hope. Father God, we're, we just ask Holy Spirit right now that you would impress that person on our heart this week, oh God. God, that we would give hope, that we wouldn't beat people down with the gospel, you wicked, evil, unrepentant person. This is why this is happening. But God, that we would say, bro, I love you. Sister, I love you. Cousin, I love you. I don't know why this happened to you. I don't. But I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving until I know you're okay. And I'm going to point you to the hope giver, the Jesus who I know. God, can we do that? Holy Spirit, can you impress on us this week that we would not be able to sleep until we reach out to those people? God, would you help us control our thoughts and our emotions, God? Let us let them not lead us, God. God, would you lead us, God, that we would, every thought, fleeting thought, would it come to the captivity and obedience of Christ right now in Jesus' name. That every thought, every fleeting thought, I'm suffering, I don't know how I'm going to eat, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm scared to get in a relationship again. You just cast that thought out. Perfect peace is mine estate on thee, O oh God. Father, would we, would Luminous Church be a, uh, a church who's going to run with this theme that we've set out this year to win the city? God, would we run with that theme and be able to love on hurting people, God? Help us, God. Father God, I also want to pray that when there's been times when we knew somebody was suffering, yet we did nothing, God, we repent. Right now, we repent. When we knew somebody was suffering, we got wind of it, saw it on Facebook, heard it through the grapevine, whatever, and we did nothing, God, we repent. God, and we ask that we would be hope givers, God, that we would be beacons of light. We are Luminous Church, and may we be beacons of light and give hope to a dying San Antonio. God, would you help us with that, Holy Spirit? Shake us up this week, God. We ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.